Let's uh, begin, turn to Psalm 40. Psalm 40. And we'll read verses 1 to 3. Psalm of David, Psalm 40, verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So we see that David says he's in the pit. Uh, he's in the miry bog. And so the miry bog is not something that he can get out of. It's like the quicksand where the harder you try on your own to get out of the quicksand, the more you're going to sink into it. And so he recognizes that he's in this miry bog. He can't do anything to get out of it. And so he needs God to rescue him. So he calls on God to rescue him. And he says uh, that uh, God did rescue him. And God set his feet upon a rock in contrast to that miry bog. Now he's, he's in a place of stability. And so he responds in praise. But what is it that David does while he's in the miry bog? Verse 1 tells us what he does. So first, he waited patiently. He waited patiently. And he cried. He cried out to God. So those are the two things he did. He waited patiently and he cried out to God. So what does it look like then to wait patiently when you are in the miry bog. Now, of course, the psalm is poetic and it's vague enough that we don't really know what he's talking about. Is he talking about some physical situation of distress, uh, like usually in the psalms, somebody is after David for his life to try to kill him? Well, he doesn't tell us that that's the situation, or it could be something spiritual or emotional that he is going through, but he feels stuck in this miry bog. So, so what does it mean to wait patiently. Maybe you know what it's like to uh, struggle with depression. All of us, in some sense, we struggle with discouragement and feeling down, uh, what they used to call melancholy. Uh, the Puritans, they often write about this thing called melancholy. It's feeling discouraged and down, and, and sometimes I think we would call that depression. One of the things that happens when you're depressed is you don't want to do anything, right? So you want to stay in bed, you just want to sleep all the time, you don't want to eat. And even in the Psalms, they talk about this. David says in Psalm 42, he says, My tears have been my food day and night, which tells us that David didn't eat because he was so depressed. And so even in a secular sense of if you go to a psychologist or a therapist they're going to tell you well, one of the things you need to do if you're depressed is you have to force yourself to do something uh, get up do the dishes or uh, go take a walk outside whatever just just whatever it is force yourself to do something 
But you know, that's the challenge. When you're depressed, you don't want to do anything. So how do you make yourself do something when you don't feel like doing anything? Well, that's with, uh, you know, the, what the medical world would call clinical depression. Um, but with SIBS and with the bruised reed, we're talking about spiritual depression. And they can be related. We talked about that last week. But, but we're talking more about spiritual depression. And when we struggle spiritually, we might have those same kind of symptoms. Uh, like a depressed person might not want to do any chores. The spiritually depressed person doesn't want to do any spiritual duties. You don't want to pray. You don't want to go to church. You don't want to pick up a Bible and read it. You have no motivation whatsoever to do those things. So, what should we do? Well, David here is saying that to wait patiently, I think what he's saying, is to continue to do those spiritual duties. Uh, to wait impatiently means that you give up. So you're not waiting on the Lord, you just give up. You're in the miry bog and you just say, okay, I can't do anything about this. I'm just going to accept that this is my lot and I'm just going to sit here in the miry bog forever and ever, right? That's kind of like uh, you just give up with your faith. But to wait patiently upon the Lord means that you continue in those duties of the spiritual disciplines even when you don't feel like it. I want to read a quote from another writer. This is not Sibs. This is a modern writer. And uh, this is what he tells us related to this. He says, One of the reasons God loved David so much was because David cried so much. Psalm 6, 6. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. In Psalm 56, 8. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? So that's what we see in Psalm 40. David's crying out to God. So he says, God loved David so much because he cried so much. He goes on, then after the cry, you wait. I waited patiently for the Lord. He says, this is crucial to know. Saints who cry to the Lord for deliverance from pits of darkness must learn to wait patiently for the Lord. There's no statement here about how long David waited. I've known saints who walked through eight years of debilitating depression and came out into glorious light. Only God knows how long we must wait. He points us to Micah's experience. So let's read this also in Micah. I think it helps us. Micah chapter 7. Turn your Bible to Micah 7, starting in verse 7. Similar to Psalm 40. Micah says, Micah 7, verse 7, But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I shall fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, 
the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. There in verse 9, you see this particular case, Micah knows that he sinned against God, and that's why God feels far from him. But we don't have to say that that's only in those cases when you've sinned against God. Uh, but we can apply this generally. So, so what is Micah saying there? He says he sits there in darkness. He waits for God. So what is he waiting for? Well, he's waiting for the Lord to be a light to me. He has faith the Lord will bring him into the light. And that's what he says at the end of verse 9. He will bring me out to the light. So we're waiting for God to bring us out into the light. I'll go back to quoting this, this author again. So he says, we can draw no deadlines for God. He hastens or he delays as he sees fit. And his timing is all loving towards his children. Oh, that we might learn to be patient in the hour of darkness. This doesn't mean that we make peace with darkness. We fight for joy, but we fight as those who are saved by grace and held by Christ. We say, to quote the words of the hymn that we just sung, our night will soon turn to day. Give to the winds thy fears, hope and be undismayed. God hears your sighs and counts your tears. God shall lift up your head. So we continue to wait for God to bring us out into the light. But as we wait patiently, we continue in these spiritual duties. So this is what chapter 8 is about in Sibs' book, The Bruised Reed. He really actually starts it in the end of chapter 7. We didn't get to this part in chapter 7. And then chapter 8, he says, let me un unfold this a little more. So let's talk about how we can continue in the spiritual duties uh, when we feel far from God. So on page 54, as he ends chapter 7, he tells us weakness shouldn't keep us from duty. Weakness should not keep you from duty. Maybe you feel sometimes um, your prayers hit the wall. You're praying to the ceiling. You come to church and your heart is dead inside. You have no joy in coming to church. You feel like you try to obey the law of God. You try to do the right things and you say, well, what, where has it gotten me? It's getting me nowhere. My life is just as full of troubles as it's ever been. So should you then stop praying? Should you stop coming to church because you have no joy in coming to church? Stop obeying God. Well, think about all those things that Sibs has been saying the last few weeks. He says, basically, if you're complaining about the lack of spiritual fire in you, does it make sense that your response would then be to snuff out the fire? That doesn't make sense, does it? Right? Because what you want is for the fire in you to grow. If you're the, the smoking flax, uh, the answer isn't to snuff yourself out, but to grow into flame. And so... What's going to happen if you stop? 
your spiritual duties. If you stop praying, if you stop going to church, stop reading the word of God, well, that flax is going to get snuffed out. You're certainly not going to grow by not doing these things. So we need to keep going. Uh, press on, not losing heart, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. And we need to remember, Sibs reminds us there, that Christ loves the good things that he sees in his children. When you pray, and your prayers feel like they're going nowhere, then Christ doesn't look at you and say, wow, look how pathetic those prayers are. Christ loves the fact that you continue to pray. And that's what he's going to talk about more and more in this chapter. And he gives a special example of prayer here. Um, Sib says, if you have a desire to pray at all, then that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so if you have any desire to pray, if you're if you're looking at yourself and you're saying, look, uh, my prayers are so useless and so lame, well, doesn't that complaint reflect in you a desire to pray and to be better at prayer? Well, if you have that desire to pray, the Spirit is giving you that. Romans 8.26 says, the Spirit helps us with groanings too deep for words. And I'm sure you've felt that sometimes, where... You don't even really know what words to say, but you have groanings, and those groanings are the Spirit helping you. Psalm 38 verse 9 says, my groaning is not hidden from you. So if we're groaning to God, God loves to hear our groans. Sibs also says, God can pick sense out of a confused prayer. God can pick sense out of a confused prayer. We've all prayed confused prayers. Uh, we all, you know, even just something as simple as, uh, I, I thank Jesus for sending his son into the world. And then, uh, why did I say that? Why did I thank Jesus for sending his son? Well, God knows exactly what I meant. All right, and God's not, I, I might do this to myself, but God's not doing that to me. Because uh, he knows what I meant to say. God picks sense out of our confused prayers. He says, God will accept that which is his own and pardon that which is ours. So he ends chapter 7 by saying, Pray as we are able. Hear as we are able. Strive as we are able. Do as we are able. According to the measure of grace received. God in Christ will cast a gracious eye upon that which is his own. So what he says about prayer, you can apply that to every aspect of this, the Christian life. When you don't feel like doing those things, well, if you have that des uh, any desire to be better at those things, well, that's the Spirit giving you those desires, and you persevere in them. And God sees the, maybe the little bit of good of that desire and you continue. Well, next, as he goes into chapter 8, he gives us four reasons to persist in those things. Four reasons to persist. So number one, he says, our hearts 
are of themselves reluctant to give up their liberty. Okay, so you should persist in spiritual duties even when you're spiritually depressed because you need to understand that your heart is already reluctant to give up its freedom. Here, in other words, your heart is already desiring to not do those spiritual things. And so he says, the more spiritual that your duty is, the more reluctance there's going to be in your heart to do it. I don't think I have to spend a lot of time proving that because you know it. It's a lot easier for you to watch TV or to go on YouTube or to look on Facebook or to open your messages on your phone. It's so much easier. It's, it's so easy to just pull out the phone and just start doing all those things. And yet, there's the Bible. There's the Bible sitting there. And you say, oh, I don't really feel like opening up the Bible. That's a lot of work. And yet, it's so easy for your heart to go to the other things that, that might be unspiritual. It's a lot easier to read a good fiction book than to read Richard Sibbs or Jerry Bridges or R.C. Sproul or whoever. Those things are work. They feel like work because it's our heart. Our heart is reluctant to give up the easy things. So, since your flesh is already reluctant to spiritual things, Sibbs is saying, every time you neglect those things, corruption of your flesh is gaining ground. So every time you neglect, it's harder to start again. So he gives the image of rowing, rowing against the tide. So here's the tide, here's the current pulling you this way, and you're rowing, and uh, so he says, you're rowing and rowing and rowing, and you may make a little bit of slow progress. This is, you know, normal life. You're reading the Bible, praying, going to church. You're making slow progress. But then you get depressed, and you just want to stop. He says, what's going to happen when you stop? Are you going to stay at this point? No, you're going to go back. The tide of your corruption is pulling you back. So now what do you have to do? So if you want to get back to this point of faith, love, you're going to have to do that much more work, right? So it's a lot easier, he says, just row one more time. Okay, and then tomorrow we'll just row one more time. Or Sunday after Sunday. I don't really feel like going to church today, but you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to make myself do it. You know, sometimes you force yourself in these disciplines and that slowly inches you along, whereas the opposite is now you're back here and it's going to be much harder to get back to that place. So actually it's easier to be consistently moving forward, persevering in those duties. So it'll get harder if you stop. So that's the first reason to persist. Second, he says, as we set about duty, God strengthens the influence he has in us. As we begin our duty, uh, spiritual disciplines, you actually get stronger and stronger 
in those things. So the Bible is sitting there, and the phone is sitting there, and you just want to go to the phone. It's so much work to pick up the Bible, but he's saying, once you open the Bible and you start reading it, hopefully the Spirit is then beginning to work in you, and the Spirit brings light and understanding and joy, and so it increases your faith, it increases your love. And then as, as your faith is increased, then, then tomorrow, instead of going to the phone tomorrow, it'll be a little bit easier for you to pick up the Bible. Okay, so that's, that's the kind of thing that he's saying. Uh, look, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. Here he's talking about uh, serving using your gifts in the church, but I think we can apply this to what we're talking about. Uh, let's start in verse 10, 1 Peter 4, 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And what brings God glory then? Well, he says, in order that God may be glorified. Well, one of the things that brings God glory, he says, is serving by the strength that God supplies. So that must imply that a person who is serving may not feel strong, may not feel that they have the strength to serve, and yet, because God supplies the strength, he or she is then able to serve. And it brings glory to God that God is shown as the one who supplied the strength. Uh, a similar passage is in Hebrews 13, 21, where he, Paul said, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, May the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. God equips you. God works in you. So this is what Sibs is saying. You set about the duty. You don't feel like doing it when you start. But when you go do it, God supplies the strength. God equips you to do that. The way Sibs writes, writes, he says, We find a warmness of heart, an increase of strength, the Spirit going along with us and raising us up by degrees until he leaves us, as it were, in heaven. Okay, so persist because it'll be harder once you stop. Number two, God will strengthen you when you start. On number three, number three, he puts it in these words. Obedience is most direct when there is nothing else to sweeten the action. So obedience is most direct when there is nothing else to sweeten the action. You have to think about what does he mean by that. 
He's saying if you're obeying, because in a sense, there's nothing that you're getting out of it that God is honored by this kind of obedience. So you're not reading the Bible because you're going to get these ooey-gooey feelings about God. Because in this, this time, when you're struggling, you might not get those gooey feelings. But you're doing it because you want to honor God. And so he says, God is, God is uh, pleased with obedience that is done for that purpose. It's not done for any sort of selfish motive or selfish gain, but it's only because it honors God. So I wonder sometimes if you feel like a, a hypocrite. And I think people bring this, bring this up sometimes that um, we shouldn't do something if we don't feel like doing it because that would make you a hypocrite. We know that Jesus warns us about being hypocrites. Matthew 15, 7 and 8. You hypocrites, he said to the Pharisees. Isaiah prophesied of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And so you might be a Christian and, and you say, You know what? I don't want to be like that. So if my heart is far from God, I don't want to come to church and just sing songs that I don't really feel in my heart. Or I don't want to pray prayers that I don't really mean because my heart is far from God. Well, we know that Jesus warns a lot about hypocrisy, but that's not what Jesus means, what we're talking about here. And Jesus is talking, I think really he's talking about unbelievers. The Pharisees are not believers, and yet, so they're legalists. They're, they're outwardly keeping laws, but they don't have new hearts. And so that's mainly what Jesus is talking about. Maybe you've heard teaching um, about uh, the church in Laodicea and, and Revelation. And you know that famous verse about, I wish that you were, how's it go? Uh, it's, it's about being lukewarm. Yeah, I wish that you were neither hot or cold. Uh, but because you are lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And some of the teaching I've heard applying that is God would rather you be cold than lukewarm. Well, that's, that's not the point. The point is, he says a few verses later, be zealous and repent. Be hot, if we, if we want to put it that way. So the answer is not, just be cold. If you don't feel like it, if you're being lukewarm, just stop. That's not, that's not the answer. The answer is repent and do the right thing. So it's not hypocrisy to force yourself to read the Bible when you don't feel like reading the Bible or to come to church when uh, some, something in your heart you are struggling to come to church. Because we go back to the same thing that Sibs keeps saying. If you're a follower of Christ, you want to obey him. And the Spirit gives you that little desire to obey him. So you do it because God commands you to do it. It's obedience. God calls us to worship him. 
He doesn't say, worship me only when you feel like it. But even if you don't feel like it, you're obligated to worship him. And so he's saying, God sees that in you, that you want to worship him, even uh, when you might not yourself get anything out of it, but you're worshiping him because you recognize God is due your worship. You want to obey him. All right. The last one uh, of these four reasons. So he says, what is one as a spoil from our corruptions will have as great a degree of comfort afterwards as it has of obstruction for the present. Okay, what is one as spoil from our corruptions will have as great a degree of comfort afterwards as it has obstruction for the present. You have to think about that one again. What does that mean? He goes on to explain. Reward follows work. The amount of labor that it might take you to do the spiritual discipline, he's saying, is going to correspond to the reward that you get. Easy work is not very rewarding. Harder work pays off more. And so it's when you don't feel like doing these things that there will be a greater sense of reward than, uh, than if, if you don't do it. All of these things, he's putting such a positive spin <laughs> on, on the difficulties that we face in life. Uh, if you read the chapters, he does... He has these little paragraphs where he qualifies everything. He's saying, he says, this doesn't mean it's a good thing to be like this. Okay, It doesn't mean it's a good thing to, to not feel like you love God or you don't want to do these things. So he's not using any of this as an excuse. He's only bringing these things up to say that when you are in these situations, when Satan does tempt you with these thoughts of uh, just give it all up, this is what it means, he says to wait patiently for the Lord and that there are good things that God can bring out of this. So he can give you this greater reward, sense of reward, because of the hard work that it takes. Okay, one last part of the chapter, chapter 8. He calls this scruples removed. So let me ask you, what is a scruple? Do you know what a scruple is? Sense of doing the right thing. Okay, good. Yeah. John? Ethics. Okay. Related to that. Yeah. Any other? You ever called somebody scrupulous? <laughs> you do? <laughs> what do you mean when you call someone scrupulous? <laughs> okay. Um, any other thoughts? Pastor? Overly detailed? Okay, yeah. To a fault, yeah. Were you going to add anything? 
So the person who walks to the corner to cross at the crosswalk. That's what Pastor Sarver says, a scrupulous person. <laughs> yeah, so somebody who's very careful about obeying every law. Make sure you drive under the speed limit, right? That's a scrupulous person. Yeah, so um, it's related to how we are, but um, what it really is getting at is having hesitations or doubts about something. So somebody might say, uh, you know, there's this long contract, you know, the, the Apple user agreement. A scrupulous person is going to read through that whole Apple user agreement and say, well, I don't like that line, so I'm not going to accept this because that line says this. So you have doubts or hesitations about very small things. And as they said, it's being very concerned about doing the wrong thing. So I look up this word. It literally comes from a word that means a rough pebble. And so this rough pebble was used as a unit of measurement. Uh, so it's someone who cares about the little rough pebbles, all right? wants to make sure everything is done right. So what's he talking about here? Well, what does that have to do with us? I think it's what I would call an introspective person. Uh, someone might say it's a, a morbid introspection. So being too introspective. So being very scrupulous about yourself. Some people, some people might have personalities where you're very spontaneous. You just go do whatever you want. Tomorrow you wake up and you want to go to Florida and you're just going to go to Florida tomorrow. And you don't think about it. And the things that you say, you just say a bunch of things that just pop in your head, they come out of your mouth. Uh, and then other people are the opposite. Very thoughtful, very careful about everything that they do and they say. So you take a step and then you, you pause. And you know, Was that the right step? Did I say the right thing in that conversation? And so you're, you're always introspective, uh, having these scruples about yourself. Sibs says it this way. We conceive of God as one on watch for all advantages against them. So we're always thinking about God. That's a true statement that God sees everything about us. But we're always thinking about God. God knew that I thought this. God knows I said this. God is against me, right? So we're always worried about displeasing God with every little thing that we've done. And you can see how that could lead to what Sibs is talking about here about spiritual depression. Nothing that I ever do can please God because I realize all the things that I've done wrong. Well, here's how Sibs responds to scrupulous people. He says, this scrupulosity, for the most part, and that's an important phrase, for the most part, is a sign of a godly soul, as some weeds are signs of a good soil. Therefore, these people are the more to be pitied, 
for it is a heavy affliction, and the ground of it in most is not so much from trouble of conscience as from a disordered imagination. So you see, he's pointing out that the problem here isn't so much a sensitive conscience, because you can have a sensitive conscience, but uh, your conscience will condemn you for things that you truly do wrong. And there are some things that they're not necessarily wrong, but we beat ourselves up over them. We're, you know, we're always wondering, did, did I do the right thing? Did I say the right thing? And, and it could be, you didn't do anything wrong, but you're, you're condemning yourself for that. And so he's saying, this isn't the conscience issue. This is a, what he calls a disordered imagination. And so this isn't a spiritual problem in itself but it's a sign of a godly soul who honestly wants to please God and do the right thing. And so we need to, he says, pity and help those people. And then he ends by just saying, uh, scrupulous people are discouraged because they forget God's covenant of grace. And this is what we've mentioned many times, right? We always need to remember, if you did say something wrong, if you did do something wrong, that doesn't break the covenant of grace that you have with God. God sees you as righteous in Jesus Christ. So as we wait patiently for the Lord, uh, Sibs is calling us, the word of God says, persist in your duties. God gives you grace to overcome our sin and our struggles. Let's pray for God to help us. Our Lord, we thank you that you are good to us, that you bring us out of darkness into the light. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who does dwell within your children and helps us with those groanings that are too deep for words. We praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ, your covenant of grace that is in him, and how our sins are cast away as far as east is from the west. Lord, we pray that you'd give us your help of the Holy Spirit to wait patiently for you, uh, to persist even when things are difficult for us, when the corruption of our flesh desires to take over. We pray that you would help each one of us to grow to be more and more holy like Jesus Christ, and to look forward to the day when we will be made new, be freed from all of this corruption. We thank you, Lord, for this day of worship and how you use the worship of the people of God and your word to help us to grow. And we pray that even as we come through the rest of this day, that your spirit would give the strength that you supply, that our hearts would not be far from you, as we come before you, but that we would increase in our faith and love for you as we pray and sing these songs and hear your word. We ask through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.